And welcome to For What It's Earth, a nature, environment, climate change and sustainability podcast which asks, is there anything that you and I can do to help save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And today we are very excited to be talking about the future of renewable energy and the winds of change, maybe solar winds. Sorry, my, 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 my script in brackets said room for puns. <laughs> so I thought I'd... Uh... <laughs> I wrote you in some creativity. I tried my best. That. I think that was good. I like that. Winds of change, solar winds. Solar winds. I like it. Yes. Very good. So that voice you can hear, Very we're joined good. by Juliet Davenport, founder and CEO of Good Energy, a 100% renewable energy company that she set up over 20 years ago. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Hi, Lloyd. Very well, thank you. It's a beautiful sunny day, so the solar winds will be <laughs> up. <laughs> so, um, okay, before we... Is oh, solar sorry. winds a thing? I'm not sure. I might have just made that up. I, solar winds, I think, is something you find in space, actually. Ah, okay. Well, uh, maybe that's your next venture. On, on <laughs> so, I mean, before we plug ourselves too deep into the episode, Juliet, we, we do have to ask you one very important quick question first, and that is what one good thing have you done for the planet okay. this week? And obviously this doesn't count setting up your own green energy company. This has to be something. No, no. Okay. Some, so I can't claim that one. <laughs> so, so when I think, when I think, when people ask me what, sh- what simple things can I do or what should I do? I always kind of think about it in, okay, so how did I get somewhere today? How did I transport? So I took the train today, I guess that's a step in the right direction. What did I eat Absolutely. today? So, I actually went and planted some of my vegetables and vegetables, if you grow your own veg, that's the lowest carbon way of eating, basically. Um, and the other thing I didn't do today is the heating didn't need to come yes, on because it was so it sunny is. and warm. I'm so excited that you said exactly. grow your own vegetables because I made Lloyd allow us to do an entire episode on how to grow your own vegetables recently because I've become a little bit of a mad really? gardener in my very small garden. That's wonderful. And that's <laughs> that's brilliant as well about the heating. I, I think I turned mine off over the weekend as well. Suddenly everything is starting to feel really quite full of the promise of spring and it's warm. And, and yeah. my one good thing this week is that my laundry is out to dry on the line for the first time this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very small, <laughs> small step, but it, yeah. it does seem to feel like suddenly everything has is, is changed a little bit. Yeah, really nice. What about you, Lloyd? Um, I've got two little things. So one is that uh, we needed a new brush for doing our dishes and I'm trying to slowly obviously replace everything plastic based in the house. So I bought a, a wooden one with, um, well, it says cactus bristles, but I don't know how, like whether it's like the, the main part of the plant that you use for the bristles or whether they literally take the needles. I don't know, but I'll, I'll see when it arrives. Um, and the other thing is uh, we are ripping out our kitchen at the moment to put in a new one. And obviously this does create waste, unfortunately, um, which isn't always salvageable, uh, especially when you're me and you have no idea what to do with DIY and you don't understand what you're doing. (laughs) But our our neighbor, luckily, is uh, putting in a new kitchen in another property they have. So they have actually taken a lot of our uh, worktops and and drawers. So that was uh, a a bit of a win-win. Oh, fab. That's really good. 
yeah, it, it, was, it was really lucky. Well, we, we sort of put it outside and as they were walking past, he said, oh, can we, can we have that? I was like, yeah, of course you can. Uh, <laughs> pop that in my van. Off we pop. We I love that. It it's kitchen. A, yeah, I discovered FreeCycle about a month and a half ago, which just makes me so excited. All that stuff that's been hanging around in my garage that hasn't been used for 10 years at least. Mm. And now somebody else is using it. How exciting. I love it. So, I mean, we didn't get you on here to talk about free cycle, although I'm, I'm sure we probably could. <laughs> um, kind of briefly then, you know, what's your story? How did you go about setting up a green energy company? What kind of drove it or, or inspired it for you? So I think I think my journey really began. So, so my I, I grew up a very high carbon kid. So my parents uh, were both involved in motor rallying. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, my father particularly was a professional co-driver. And I spent a lot of time as a kid watching rally cars go very fast or on the side of a race circuit. And so I had sort of no concept of environmental impact really at all growing up. And it wasn't until I went to university and I did a degree in physics. And my third year, I got to study atmospheric physics. Mm. And a part of that, obviously, you study climate change. And there was a bit of a kind of dawning moment. I think it was beginning to become, climate change was beginning to become relevant. You'd start to see it in in-depth articles in the Sunday newspapers and things. And it, it, I guess it came to me at that point that the, the atmosphere is such a delicate thing. I mean, it, it, the fact that we have a planet with an atmosphere is amazing mm-hmm. and that we can protect ourselves from the sun but also use the sun to heat our planet. It, it, it is, I mean, we haven't found another earth, have we? So, so it's, it's just so fragile. And then when you start to significantly shift it, then obviously that impacts all of us living on it. So I guess that was my first awareness through the science. And then I kind of went on a slightly wiggly journey, I have to say. I kind of did a bit <laughs> of sports PR for a while. I worked in a hotel, um, but I eventually ended up working in European energy policy, uh, which was fascinating, cool. but very slow moving. Um, and when I left there, I did some consultancy work on renewables and then um, actually met a German entrepreneur who was doing lots of renewables in, in mainland Europe. And we both got talking at the same time. We basically said, well, consumers are the really way forward because they will make a decision quicker than governments they will persuade governments to do things and we can we can take a step now we don't have to wait for government action to to take place so i think that was where the concept came from uh then setting it up was was okay but it was quite i mean nobody really set one up in the uk before so it was all about breaking down barriers working around problems figuring out how to set up an energy company where nobody really dealt with small energy companies before. Um, and, and that, but that was where the concept came from and the drive originally. And it kind of, it, it basically spiraled from there. It just grew and grew. And over, over time, I hope we've done lots of different innovations that have helped move this marketplace forward. So starting at the very basics then, where does good energy source the green energy from, you know, and how do you ensure that your suppliers, for example, actually have the right green credentials? So so right back at the beginning, when we first started, I did a road trip around particularly the southwest because there were a lot of the original renewable generators actually started in the southwest it's quite it's quite an entrepreneurial and independent area Cornwall and Devon and so I think they they 
there was there was just a very entrepreneurial spirit in the area. So we we actually worked with four generators to begin with, two wind farms and two small hydropower stations. And I went to visit all of them, and I still know uh, the people who run two of them to this day. Um, and uh, essentially, we went along and said, "Would you be up for selling us your power? We're a startup. You've never heard of us. We don't have any backing yet." And <laughs> plug me in, thank you. <laughs> and they kind of said, "Yes, we'd be up for it." And and that was just the beginning. Those were our first four generators that we basically started the company with. And then we kind of laid out a blueprint for, okay, so who else? Um, what what types of generators do we want to buy our power from? So we've included uh, wind power, solar power small hydro that's run a river hydro and something called anaerobic digestion which is kind of food waste um, agricultural waste you take it rather than spreading it on the land you digest it and um, create a gas off the back of it and then generate electricity so those were that's how we specified it and each of our generators we go through a form of accreditation to check find out what they're producing and how they're producing it and then obviously we monitor them because we we have live data on their sites about how much power they're producing. So that that's that's where it started from. And we've kind of evolved it over time. We've now got about 1600 generators um, and about 170,000 people in their homes who generate their own power as well. Wow. Wow. So what's the, the lay of the land currently in terms of so if, if for example, everyone in the UK like tomorrow decided I'm going to switch to a renewable energy provider, how quickly would it take to be able to sort of switch the UK's energy mix to meet that demand? Is is that like years away? So you're talking about, so so it depends which which part of the market. So if you, if you're talking about just household customers, if you're just saying householders, so right now uh, we're producing about 40% of our electricity from renewables in the UK um, and households are not much more than that, to be honest. So it's we're not far off being able to deliver that in the near term. And in fact, I think the the calculation was that the offshore wind announcements that government made last year, we'd be able to supply 100% of UK households with that power. Oh, wow. So, so that's really exciting. But obviously, you've then got all the businesses who also want to buy renewable yeah. power. So it depends sure. who, who – and in fact, businesses are, have been making a lot of commitment to renewables because they, they see it from the point of view of the people who work for them are keen for them to change and to really show leadership in environmental credentials. Um, the people who invest in them are now saying, you have to uh, show us your environmental credentials and think about climate change. To the point where it's on everybody's risk register, you have to discuss it at company boards, um, and then uh, custom, their customers also want them to do something about climate change. So we're seeing businesses really take a lot of lead in this, um, and that's that's quite exciting to see because obviously they can affect a whole chain of events going forwards. So what excites you, like kind of looking forward about the future of renewables? So we've got quite a lot of capacity, it seems, coming up in the future. So we could supply quite a lot of the UK renewably. But what what excites you when you're looking forward? So I think what what we've done, we've done some work on looking forward and it looks like about 80% of the power could be supplied in the UK from renewables quite easily with Mm. existing technologies. After that, it gets a bit harder. And partially it gets harder because renewables are variable. So wind doesn't blow always, blows predominantly in the winter, sun predominantly in the summer, obviously, but it's not always matching the pattern of demand that we need. So 
to be able to fix that problem, we need to be thinking about new technologies. So that's uh, whether that's solar storage, whether that's storage, uh, hydrogen, um, whether that's smart systems in people's homes. So switching the power off when you don't need it at home automatically to deal with deal with the fact that there might be enough less power on the system or more power on the system, in fact. And I think um, that's what excites me is when we see this kind of new approach to energy that includes the consumer as part of that, includes the customer. Um, when when we entered when I entered the market, um, what I absolutely remember is that energy companies and and the bosses of energy companies used to think about taking power from large power stations and delivering it to a meter, not to a person or a home, just a meter. And actually, we in the future, we're going to care about what happens on the other side of the meter. We're going to care about what happens in people's homes. And it's going to be integral to how we actually deliver low carbon. And so the consumer suddenly becomes a really important part of the future of green for me. Um, And that excites me because I think customers have been really underrated in terms of what they can do and how they can be involved in this market. So you've talked a little bit about smart homes, kind of, and you touched on a little bit there previously. How automated is our life going to get, do we reckon? So I think, I mean, we were talking quite recently to uh, a a charge lead operator, manufacturer, who has, uh, basically, it's the lead itself that you plug the car into the house. And that has a smart capability to it that basically can be programmed either according to a tariff. So it will switch. You can plug your car in when you get home from work and then it waits till it's cheap and then it starts charging the car. So so you sit, you, you're already seeing the technology is absolutely there and ready to go. We just need to plug it all together so it makes sense mm. and make sure that there are the right signals coming through to make to, to allow people to be part of the marketplace. So do you think you're do you think you're optimistic in terms of our ability to maybe combat the climate and ecological crisis whether in the UK or globally? Because so I think there's a lot quite an of optimistic person. I but... am I am an optimistic person. So I am technologically optimistic, politically okay. probably a little more cynical. I can hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um and and that's purely because I guess one one of the things I got to work on when I was working at at the European level on energy policy was um, a European trade agreement on energy. And every single country was nation centric about its approach. So, uh, for example, the Japanese were really worried about the environmental articles in this particular trading agreement because they were worried Greenpeace could sue them about whaling. Slightly oddly, never quite understood that because it was about energy, but that's what they were worried about. The Australians were keen to preserve all the coal they possibly could. Uh, the Norwegians were keen to preserve all their oil reserves. So, so each country has its own resource issues and therefore brought to the table its own nation-centric approach. Now, to be able to do something on climate change, we have to come with a planet-centric approach. So we kind of have to leave some of the nation piece behind. Um, and we have to collaborate because otherwise you can't get to a solution. And so this is this is the really tricky piece. Whereas we absolutely know that solar is now one of the cheapest ways of generating electricity worldwide. We know that wind is not far behind it. We know the potential for offshore wind is huge. We know if we actually invested in some of the tidal technologies, that potential would be huge as well. 
Um, then we've got to do our smart systems to, to integrate it all. It's all completely feasible, but it comes down to whether countries are still doing things like signing 30-year deals with coal power stations that doesn't allow solar to come in in the meantime. And, and that's the problem. That's It's those political politically driven financial deals that have been done in developing countries um, that kind of basically put the blockers on these new technologies coming through. And that's what we've got to unblock, really. But like the, I mean, the I mean, the million dollar question so is like, how, how do we how do, do that? that? Yeah, especially as consumers, we and as such small individuals, we can feel so powerless, especially when you put it in the context of global governments, each yeah. just making, yeah. what, what the hell do we do? So I think on an individual level, I think it depends how far you want to go down the line. So first of all, we should always be encouraging our government to do as much as they can. They are on the international stage. And actually, the UK has a huge opportunity now coming up to Glasgow uh, at the end of this year, because their job is to go and negotiate with all these countries and bring them along. And so I think... I think if everybody asks their local MP, what are they doing about making sure that we get a deal at Glasgow? I think that sends a really positive message. It says, we want you to have a remit to doing something at Glasgow. And it puts the impetus behind it because politicians are followers. They're not leaders. I very rarely see political leaders. They're very, very rare. And so what they will do is follow a trend. Now, if consumers tell them that that's what they want, and this, this is increasingly why we're seeing uh, the environmental agenda becomes so important is because voters, consumers, we're all saying we want something done about it. And that's one thing that politicians look at is their polls. So mm. keep saying we want something, keep making our choices based on our environment makes a big difference to the way that they think that this is important at a, as, at a global level. And then talk to other groups worldwide that, that's actually really nice to hear that we actually do do have a say that we can have an impact from from someone who, who's who's in the know because I think as Emma was saying we often feel so so powerless as individuals we think oh it's, it's up to governments quite far away it's up to, yeah. to businesses we have no sway over so it's actually really nice to hear from someone who who knows their stuff that yes we can actually it does enact this change from from the bottom it makes a big difference so if you talk to any politician about anything and ask them for change they said well nobody's telling us that and 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 if if they are one of, one of the roles that I see some of the environmental groups and particularly most recently Extinction Rebellion have done is they've given the space for politics. So they've gone to one extreme. They've given this politicians the space to go. Actually, we need to do something about this, and we can see that this is a populist movement that is going to come towards us. And the more we can make that uh, uh, that absolutely apparent to politicians, the more they will do. And in that spirit of um, of optimism and looking yes. forward, I did notice that uh, Good Energy had a well. You, you pretty much hired a, a group of younger people yes. right, to to help it advise Good Energy. Yeah. I was just wondering what what was the thinking behind that, and and what were the outcomes? Were, were you impressed? Were you surprised with what they came oh, out with? Oh yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. So I'll tell you about that. But I'll I'll tell you the original concept came from. So a while ago, when we were looking at our purpose and how do we describe who we are. We were thinking about our stakeholders and we, 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 you always identify three straight off. We identified, obviously, our, our customers, our employees and our shareholders. And then I was trying to sort of figure out what this change agent was for us, because, because part of our purpose when we came in the market was to change the energy market. 
It was it was to do is to be an example of what you could do and then be part of how you change it. And so we kind of go, well, who are we doing that for? Well, we're doing that for and I called them future holders at the time because just in the sense that there's there's some kind of stakeholder. And actually, it was the future. We were doing it for the future. And so that, that's that been part of our narrative for quite some time. And I think we were approached by eco-schools um, to do this. And, and it, then it went, it makes absolute sense because it's exactly what we've always talked about. So it was really exciting to say, actually, they are our future holders uh, and they represent... Uh, so, so the board looks after shareholders, our employees look after customers, the management look after employees, and the future holders look after the future. And that's that's kind of what they are, really. So the future board is, is exactly what it says. Um, and I met them, I think it was about two weeks ago, a week ago. They're so cool. They really are. <laughs> I mean, we had over a thousand applicants for the roles, for six roles. Oh wow. Which was an amazing response. And I kind of I kind of now want to go, I think every co- company should have one of these because there's some brilliant children out there who are dying to get be represented in the future of corporations and companies. Um and they asked loads of fantastic questions, some of which some of my team couldn't answer. So that was good. Put them on the spot. <laughs> So, so yes, yeah, so they they were they were talking about they were challenging us on what we were saying on the website and were we saying the right things, um, and then they were asking great questions about how things work, how does solar power work? Uh, we should explain that more. Um, yeah, it was, and then the international aspects as well was just brilliant, just bringing that in and asking us what are we doing internationally, how are we supporting international, and we do do some international work. But I think it was great for the team to get that feedback and go, okay, well, that's really interesting. And I'm kind of, I'm almost tempted to have it as an open meeting with the whole company, so that we run the board, wow. and then anybody who wants to listen can hear the points of view of these guys because they're just they're just so insightful and I think they have the freedom to talk about it what what I'm hoping we're going to do as well is give them some uh some kind of tools for for what they want to do as well so maybe do some comms training I mean they're pretty good to be honest at comms so they're not sure they need a lot but um and support them in kind of whichever way helps them do what they want to do as well and get to where they want to achieve what a fantastic initiative. I would have absolutely loved to have applied for something like that when I was a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's nice to, to have a company actually following through with its ideals and actually really thinking about how how you can you can achieve them. Yeah. It, it's, it's just re- really nice to actually see action. Well, like what's that. really exciting is we've already had two other companies in the energy sector ask us about it because they're thinking of doing something similar. Um, oh, and I, I think that's... That's the point. That's what, when it becomes really exciting is when you can yeah. you can tile something, test it out, and then actually there's a, there's no reason why everybody else we wouldn't want everybody else to share the idea. I was going to ask actually. Uh, now you mentioned other green energy um, companies because obviously you're sort of comp- competing, I suppose, in the same space. But is it quite an, an um, a friendly sort of? <laughs> almost a joint venture thing like like we're in this together we're all trying we're in this for the same reasons sometimes it can be sometimes it can be quite fierce competitiveness I would say I think (laughs) I think I think that just comes out with any kind of situation like that I I mean 
there are definitely parts of the industry I get on with better than others. Um, and there's some great people in the industry. So, so where, I mean, my personal view is I like collaborating. It's much more fun. It's much more um, creative. And you can, I think you can get a lot more out. But you, you also have to exist and you do compete. So there, there is an element of that too. I, I think, I think where, where I find it sad is where I see some people attacking others. And I, I just don't think that's brilliant. But, um, but it, it, there is also, we, we have to stand out and we have to talk to our truths. So we have different truths sometimes as organisations. You've talked as well previously about and campaigned against things like greenwashing Mm -hmm. so I mean you know what's the problem there maybe what is greenwashing and how do we look through it how do we identify it and how do we look critically and how do we know who to trust and so this is the the campaign is really it's less about I mean the campaign is because the regulation that protects consumers is inadequate um, it's, it's quite a complex marketplace. And most people, when they say they're buying green electricity or renewable electricity, believe that's, that, that, that the company has gone out and bought some electricity from renewable generators. The reality is, is they're not doing that. They're actually buying certificates. So it'd be a bit like if you were a supermarket and uh, you bought some apples and you've got some labels. And as the apples arrive, the, the organic label, you stick on them and they come in and now they're allowed to be called organic. And that's what the regulation allows us to do. And what we're saying is we don't think that's okay because we think consumers assume that those are organic apples, not just apples with organic labels on them, which Definitely. is essentially what is happening. Yeah. And and and, it, and it, not only that, is there some companies that uh, buy organic apples and don't even bother putting labels on them and still call them organic. So, so there's, there, there's even worse behavior than just the labeling piece. And, and what we're saying is there's no way that consumers can figure this out. There's nothing, there's nowhere to go that they can really sort of understand whether one person is or one person isn't. So what we're campaigning for is to government to put some really good guidelines. And that, and I think we're seeing, and it's greenwashing isn't just in green electricity, it's gonna, it's, we're seeing it in the investment space, so you told you've got a green pension. Well, what what is that actually investing in? Um, and and I think we're going to continue to see this as as the planet goes, as we try and go green as consumers. People are going to try and sell us things that aren't truly green. And I think there is a, definitely a role for government to say to protect consumers in complex areas. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that they'll they'll really step up and go. Okay, so this is what it is. If you want to buy apples with labels on, fine, but that's what they are. This is these these are proper organic apples, and just differentiate. I mean, it, that that's all we're asking for is a baseline so that people can truly understand what this is. Which is quite common sense, and you think that would be a very obvious thing to do because it, it helps keep the industry straight and narrow but also if governments are signing up to climate targets etc it makes sure that it's not all hidden beneath layers that you've got to really scan through to actually understand what what your impact is you can actually know at a glance yeah you're right there's no way you can tell whether if you buy green electricity from a company and they're selling brown electricity as well you've got no idea whether the amounts that they sell on brown and green are aligned to the amounts they're actually um, buying on brown and green because there's no transparency at all so we just we just need to make it clear and we need to make it simple and we need to make some rules that that energy companies can follow that are really straightforward and that's that's how I see it anyhow 
So we've been asked that previously. What's the difference between um, going with a 100% renewable supplier versus just going for a green tariff on, as you've called, a green and brown supplier? Love that. Never heard brown electricity before. <laughs> Definitely using that. But so, so that, uh, would you suggest then that, I mean, obviously go, go for good energy, but if you were a consumer deciding which one to go for until those accreditations are clear and yeah. until there's enough information yeah. just just go 100 percent yeah so, so, supplier. so there's there's a couple out there that there's there's some guidance out there so you switch has just launched its um gold standard tariff which does do that for you so you can look at it on there which also has done some work on this so they've got a guidance to that you've got ethical consumer is another magazine that that does looks at lots of companies they've got some pretty good guidance on this and something called the Good Shopping Guide as well. So all those organisations, you can take a look at what they're saying. I mean, they're brilliant at lots of things, actually. But they do. They have all looked at this marketplace and have all given guidance for consumers around that. Which is always very, very welcome. Um, I wanted to ask as well, because obviously we're sort of coming to the end of um, perhaps one of the major events in world history. <laughs> um, with with covid or, or perhaps not COVID. i was wondering which was one you were wondering. talking about was it <laughs> yeah trump covid many many it's been quite but, but a year <laughs> COVID, yeah covid and lockdown specifically i was wondering how has that affected the energy landscape and the energy market because obviously people are staying at home but then also businesses perhaps are seeing a different use of their own footprints because of offices um has only been has has there been anything noticeable in terms of yeah. change? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was a big dramatic change right at the beginning because obviously everybody suddenly went home and all the offices yeah. were closed. So we saw a big drop in demands in in, uh, in office use, energy use of about I think thirty to forty percent uh, demand drop, and then an increase in domestic, but not a huge increase at the beginning because if you remember at the beginning of lockdown we had beautiful sunny weather like this and it was actually quite warm so mm, i think did, and, and yeah. a lot of people were also on furlough so they weren't necessarily working so i think we didn't see the we total demand in the uk dropped by about 11 or 12 percent so we saw that big shift um i think going forwards i think the the, the long-term trends that i think we will see is that we'll see flexible working being a thing so we'll see domestic demand slightly increase, particularly if you're working from home in the winter because people keep the heating on. So heating is probably one of the biggest variables. Um, I think I think travel, business travel is going to change significantly because I think there's loads of people who never wanted to get on a plane in the first place to fly all over the place and do deals. And they've well worked out they don't need to do that. So I do think that is going to shift. <laughs> um, uh, and I think... Uh, yeah, businesses kind of are going to be, the workplace is going to be more, I reckon it's going to be more of a collaboration space with people working, uh, doing kind of work work where they have to get their head down and write something or do something or do a piece of work at home. So I think it depends on people's roles and it depends on their personalities as well. But definitely the more introverted people are going to want to stay at home <laughs> and the the more extroverts yeah. oh, are going yeah, to want yeah. to be in the office that's just going to be the natural case for it but I think having this healthy balance between the two I think the complete lockdown was really tough on businesses I think mm. that lack of collaboration um particularly I think there was a lot of fear as well so a lot of management teams were very fearful of the time obviously we saw and and 
I, I got a sense a lot of businesses thought the economy was going to fall over. Um, and yes, we took a huge hit, but it's, it's always going to come back. So we just need to figure out, let's not come back in a way. So after the 2007, 2008 downturn, we came back and created more emissions following coming out of that economic downturn um, and the banking crisis because government backed everything that was high carbon. And what we've got to make sure this time is that we stop government backing all the high carbon things and get a recovery that is a proper green recovery. Um, and that's what I'm really keen on, making sure we just don't go, we don't accelerate past because we're so desperate to get the economy back on the racks. Let's let's make it a green economy. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't it feel so long ago talking about the beginning yes. of the pandemic? It does. Now we, now we can actually talk about it historically <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In. Well, I think there's some but countries yeah, that right. are still slap bang in the middle of it, Lloyd, though, aren't there? Mm. Oh, oh uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a very UK-centric podcast. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, we, we always forget. You, you are right, though, in that um, very early on, it was all quite optimistic in terms of talking about the green recovery, that there was lots going yeah. around about that. And we we're seeing, you know, the um, dolphins in Venice, yeah. et cetera. So it was, it was nice, like visual image about nature coming back and you're right in that sort of a year on from the start of it it's becoming a lot more important to really hold the governments and yeah, corporations the to, to account and responsible and say like yeah you this is what we're talking about a year ago this should still be the case we, we can't just forget about it because we sort of started to come to terms with it and started to to work around it yeah i agree i mean i think i think it's a year on we have just got to kind of hold the line and I think actually having COP26 at the end of this year is really helpful I think if we'd had mm. it during the pandemic that would have been we kind mm. of would have done it and then not done it properly I think there's a there's an opportunity to do it properly this year and to keep the pressure up on uh sort of governments to really not just throw everything at the post-covid world think it through properly and understand what that economy should look like. Mm, and I think in Absolutely. terms of consumers and the general everyday public as well, because a lot of us have been just so miserable <laughs> in the last year, it's very easy to want to go back to how things were because you remember how things were as a happier time. And and so all of our potentially better habits and reduced energy use and, and thinking about like supporting local businesses and things, the moment we start to see a resemblance of the world we're all pining for, yeah. you know, now pubs are open again and suddenly things feel like summer, will we just instantly slip back into all of our old habits? It really concerns me. I, I spend a lot of time worrying about it, not that I can do much about it, but I think it's because you can't argue with people missing a happier time can you no you can't and I think but, but I but I do think there's a sort of genuine reflection um of all of us of what is what does constitute happiness mm, and does constitute mm. happiness spend a lot of time in a car com commuting and I think the answer is no um absolutely not and I think does uh, does happiness uh include although many people who have kids are very relieved that the children have gone back but does it include seeing more of your family uh and maybe not all the time but part of that i i think it does i think it's difficult because there's a lot of people in different circumstances where where the office is potentially a nice place to go so i think there's there's we can't talk for everybody in that concept but i know there was some work done by the rsa and maybe that was at the beginning of covid but basically people saying they wanted to see more clean air i think people are nervous about 
the whole infection level. I mean, it was it was quite interesting. I was in London today, and um, obviously I had a face mask on. And when I came out of the tube, I took the face mask off, and then I promptly breathed in London air, and I went. Actually, I'm going to put my face mask back on nope. again. Yeah. <laughs> and I wandered around London with my face mask on, not because I was worried of COVID, but I was trying to keep the pollution out. And it's it's quite interesting. I do think you become more aware of that when when you worry about particularly a disease that attacks the lungs. So I think psychologically, I think we're just being affected uh, that, that we want things to be cleaner and we want things to be healthier. And... Uh, particularly, I mean, I think we see, I, I live in the countryside, I need to see so many cyclists now who are all keen to be fitter, lose mm-hmm. weight, be able to cope with sort of diseases like this much better. And we, I think it's been a real wake-up call on health generally. And obviously the environment you live in has a direct impact on your health. And I, and I do think, Emma, that that is one thing I do think we will bring out of this pandemic is that we will be more worried about our health mm. and therefore where we live. I'm sure our listeners are listening to you speak and realising how much you know about so many different topics and also how how good you are on air uh, and very much putting us to shame. And I'm sure that's no small part because you've got your own podcast, Great Green Questions. And I was wondering if you want to tell us a little bit about it and what you talk about on there. Well, Lloyd, that's very kind of you. I don't put you to shame (laughs) at all. Um, But Great Green Questions was a fantastic idea by kind of the team at Good, which was really to try and um, be honest about the fact that we're not all perfect environmentalists, number one. Uh, And number two, kind of some of those slightly difficult questions. So I think the first one started off with, uh, I I grew up with cars, I I do love cars, Mm -hmm. and can I be an environmentalist and still love cars? And I think I think it's just asking some of the really practical questions around the life we live in. And so we had one about cars. We had one Mm. on uh, the Internet. Should I be streaming? Should I not be streaming? What's good? What's bad? Was that Uh, with with Tim Berners-Lee? It's not Tim Berners-Lee. It's his brother. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, And uh, we did one on fast fashion and we've just done another one on veganism and should the world go vegan and so it's just asking some of the questions that because Mm. the whole point about environmentalism it's it's not simple is it it's not straightforward there there are some complexities about it and quite often what you'll find when you go down the pub and you talk to people about being an environmentalist they'll then find all the reasons why you're wrong and part of the the great green questions is to answer some of those questions yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's quite easy isn't it, to say um, to, to to take for granted what we know quite often, yeah. and sort of get frustrated with other people for not knowing. But then you realise that uh, you were saying you've done uh, uh, physics and and you looked at climate change, for example. Emma yeah. and I sort of studied biology, so that came that was a very heavy part of it. Yeah. Sort of take for granted that you sort of went down this path and and know all this stuff through there, and you sort of forget that other people might not know what to use seems really simple and obvious so yeah like i said it's a a case of asking those questions which might seem really simple but actually would really help people understand a very very important issue in a very um succinct way yeah and and i think the other the other the other piece is that i don't know all the answers and actually what i've really (laughs) enjoyed about doing this podcast is i've learned so much so did you know you can eat banana skins i didn't know that you can eat banana skins. You can put them in a stew. And apparently they take a little taste huh. of it like aubergine. So I, I, 
the, the thing I've loved about this podcast is I find stuff out that I didn't know. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to try and absorb and remember uh, all, of your, <laughs> all of the things that you learn for when I speak to various family members or like you said, just, just friends that know that you're into environmental topics and will say... Um, excuse me, you had a bacon sandwich this morning, so all of the other good things that you do don't count. You're actually a really bad environmentalist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's exactly what you said, like understanding that everything is nuanced is so difficult to explain sometimes because people will see it as you yes. creating excuses for yourself. Yeah. And also it's not just that. They like being they like oh, being the pretend, the, um, I'm thinking of my grandfather in particular. And so and he'll listen just... to this and roll his eyes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 it's mike berners lee who is tim's brother and yep. he has produced a book called uh how mm. bad are bananas and i love that book. it's brilliant because you can you can look up all all your families when they start to give you a hard time you can go well the bacon was grown locally uh and it didn't have to transport anywhere and blah 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 so you can you can kind of work through all the nuances that people come up with and sort of try and prove you yeah. wrong yeah, it's, it's just such a great way to start a discussion, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for spending your, your evening with us, Juliet. Yeah, thank you. That was a really fantastic chat. No problem at all. Where can people go to listen to your podcast and also find out more about Good Energy? Right. So Good Energy is just goodenergy.co.uk. Uh, and uh, the podcast is on any good podcast downloads, I think. So <laughs> Apple and um, Spotify. So I, I think it's available on all of those. Um, and it's just great green questions. If you search on great green questions, or I think if you search on my name, Juliet Davenport as well, you can find it through that. Fabulous. Thank you so much. And we will end this episode as always by saying that the, the views in this podcast are our own and not uh, those of our respective employers. And uh, <laughs> if you have any problems, you can take them up with us. Um, so other than that, thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Juliet. That was a really, really great chat. And I'm sure our listeners would agree. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you, Emma. That was really good fun. Thank, Thank you. you. And we will see everyone very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.